over halfway through our series called The Story. I hope you've been keeping up with your reading. I've really enjoyed doing that weekly reading, just that one chapter, it's, you know, it's 15 minutes, if that, and, and just tracking through this bigger picture that God has, the story arc, I guess you could say, which is why we're doing this. And, um, and, and it's just been good just to be able to sort of step back a little bit and see that, that high view. We're going from Genesis all the way, we've, we've gone from creation, you know, the fall of humankind and how God's been calling us back to him, redeeming us, doing all that he can. And, he's, and we've been tracking the, the story of the, the nation of Israel as, as God's people, his chosen people, as, as part of this. They were going to be the nation that blesses all nations. And we're going to get through to the birth of Jesus. That's not far away. And take us away all the way through to, to Revelation. I did have a quick look this week at our pre- preaching roster to see who's doing that Revelation message. It's Pastor Mark. So yeah, all the best with that one, brother. Can't wait. I won't be here. But it'll be awesome. <laughs> if you've been reading along, you know that we're kind of, we're now a long way from Israel's glory days. This group that were God's people who were, they were to reveal God to the world as a nation under covenant with him. And, and they've just been, as happens, they drift Remember when we were back in the Hebrew series and there was a reminder there from the author of Hebrews about drifting? Well, this is a great example of it. This is what's happened with God's people here. The nation that was saved from slavery in Egypt by a demonstration of God's power. Those people, you know, they were sent to Canaan. They were given this, this new place to live and they were given this beautiful vision of what it was to live for God, to be His people. And now... For the most part, they were supposed to be set apart, but now there's no difference between them and the cultures around them. Their hearts were no longer after God's heart. They now worship these false gods. They didn't align uh, with God. Immorality was just the norm. Selfishness, injustice, greed, oppression, neglect. This was the standard from where we're up to in this reading. Kings ruled with fear. And control and selfishness. You know, it was all about what they could get instead of serving God, where once they trusted God to fight their battles and to protect them. Now they were making deals with other kings and other nations around them. We learned a couple of weeks ago that they were, they were torn in two, two nations now. One nation uh, was now two. There's the northern kingdom of ten tribes. They were still called Israel, and the southern kingdom of two tribes are known as Judah. And if you've been following along, you'll know that this northern kingdom in particular, they had really gone away from God. And the Bible describes king after king after king, and the words that um, the authors would write in there was, they did evil in the, in the eyes of God. Each one kind of seemed to be almost worse than the one before them. There was power plays everywhere. Uh, I think we were when I was checking through it this week, you know, there's a king that gets assassinated. There's one king that only lasts a week. Imagine that, being king for a week. Judah, on the other hand, uh, they're doing a better job at this point in history. Not great, but at least they have some leaders like Hezekiah. They're trying to, he's trying to align his nation with God and, and his word and, and the covenant that they'd made with him. And they turn to God for help still. This is Judah. 
And there's one, there's one story where uh, Jerusalem is under attack and, and Hezekiah trusts God for a rescue and that's exactly what happens. But for Israel in the north, God's long-suffering patience has pretty much run out. You know, he sends the prophets. We talked about this last week. And, he, and there's lots, hey, there's lots of warnings that come, right? There's lots of warnings, but they don't heed it. As far as I could tell, I checked it out this week, there's at least a dozen kings or rulers in a row who are unfaithful to God. And you've got to be thinking, that's many generations who rejected God and they ignored the warnings he was sending and the things that they had abandoned. The big picture of this region, okay, you've got the divided kingdom, you've got Assyria, they're like the dominant empire at this time in history, kind of in that northeastern area of, of the Middle East there. Then you've got the Babylonian Empire. They're kind of coming up in this stage and they're really gaining a lot of power. Eventually, the Babylonians, by the way, would overtake Assyria as the dominant empire. And then you've always got the ever-present Egyptians, right? They, they, they're, just, they're always there doing their thing. They're, they're always a strong empire as well. And you've got Israel and Judah and other nations, small players kind of in, in comparison. In the middle, they're doing their... Well, I was going to say doing their best, but they, they weren't really. God's people... We're meant to trust God for protection. That was, that was the covenant. You know, this was part of the deal. But Israel, they didn't do it. So they make a deal with Assyria uh, and they pay tribute to this, this empire in return for them not attacking you. you know, it's like protection money, isn't it? Although the people that you're getting protected from are the people you're paying. Kind of like the mafia in, in some ways. And that, that was what, what, that, what had happened. They forgot the battle belongs to the Lord. You know, that was, that, that was the lesson that they learned through Moses and Joshua's time, wasn't it? The battle belongs to the Lord. It was just one symptom of what happens when God's people move away from him. It's just such a good reminder for us. When we kind of gradually drift and stop trusting God for our needs and for our future, and we, and we don't trust God for battles that we might be in, we, we start to scramble and manipulate situations, and we make deals like, like Israel did, deals that we shouldn't. And so, you know, it's the reading this week, it's a reminder, it's a wake-up call that sometimes our hearts have turned inwards on ourselves. We're not aligning with God. And, and, and you know, if you're wondering what this looks like, if you trust God with your battle... You don't have to do anything that would displease him. You don't have to, you know, if you're in a battle and you're going to trust God with this one, you don't have to lie, you don't have to gossip, you don't have to manipulate, you don't have to exaggerate. You don't have to get revenge, you don't have to attack or tear others down, and you definitely don't have to make deals with the enemy. Yes, if you're in a battle, you have to... You, you may have to take defensive actions of protection because we all know that um, boundaries are important in life. You know, even in loving relationships, boundaries are important, safe boundaries. So yes, we should, when we're in battles, seek appropriate help. And yes, we may have to speak up for the sake of justice, for others or even for ourselves. And I'm all for those things, but as we do these things, when we're in these moments in life, when things are coming against us, we stay in the light. Because I can tell you, that's the moment when we're tempted not to. 
when we're tempted to do the wrong thing. We don't move into the dark when our enemies are attacking us. And we trust God for his way in those battles. You know, we, we fight battles in prayer, don't we? On our knees in prayer. That's what we do. We, we fight with integrity. We fight for peace and justice. You know, we, maybe the word fight's wrong, but we fight clean. We fight like Jesus would, and we trust God with his way and his outcome. Everyone with me so far? Because we get to this tragic moment in the story of the northern kingdom of Israel, and it's sad and it's disappointing because in a way we've invested in, the, in this reading, haven't we? But we've been tracking with them from the beginning with, well, we went back to Adam and Eve, but I'm talking about Abraham. We, kind of, we started with this nation from the beginning, and we're at this sad moment Israel's last king, Hosea, was just like many kings before him. He had completely rejected God and led his people into pagan ways. It probably didn't get any worse. They were no different to their surrounding cultures. You know, that, and I keep mentioning it, that beautiful vision that God gave his people at Mount Sinai. This is, you're going to be my people. I'm going to dwell with you. This is what it's going to look like. It's lost. Not only did... This king failed to trust God for protection you know, because he paid tribute to the, to the Assyrians. He went behind Assyria's back and makes a secret deal with Egypt. And, and things went south big time when this happened. Because when Assyria found out that was it, he would be the last king of Israel. And in about 721, 722 BC, Assyria invades Israel, you know, the northern tribes, and all of that good work God had done, it just kind of feels like it's lost now because they didn't trust him. They didn't fight clean. Standard Assyrian policy at the time was when they conquered you, they moved a lot of you out and took, took you and spread you around in their own cities and places like that so that there was no way that you're ever going to reform and regroup and kind of fight back. In fact, the Assyrians were really brutal, and I was doing some reading this week about um, how they treated those that they had conquered, and, and it was terrible, you know, the torture and stuff that went on. Can't even mention it today. The thing that you've got to keep in mind is that Israel, they'd been this wealthy country. They, they'd had this strong economy. They, they were probably mostly living comfortable lives. We talked about this last week, you know, the lessons for God's people and for the church, our comfort can become our idol. And it's easy to take your eyes off God when that happens. It's easy to be content with our stuff and our wealth and just ride along with the culture around us, you know, not causing any waves. It's kind of tempting to go that way. And so for Israel, in the, in the middle of the, their comfortable lives, having abandoned their covenant with God, Assyria arrived on their doorstep and all that comfort and wealth, it actually meant nothing in the end. And then 140 years later, this is probably next week's sermon. Judah goes down a similar path, but we don't want to steal... I think Rebecca's preaching next week, right? We don't want to steal her thunder. We'll leave that one alone. But we're still in this time when the prophets are speaking up loudly about what's going on. And last week we heard from Elijah. He showed that God's power always won. Even though it was just him versus hundreds of prophets of, of Baal, he was specifically warning Israel that destruction was coming their way if they didn't turn back to God. 
See, prophets, we often think they're just about warnings and predicting pending doom and judgment, but they're really concerned about this, about our heart. They, they want our relationship with God to be, to be where it's supposed to be, to be aligned with him. And, and for the collective, for them it was the collective nation. For us, it's the collective church, God's people. So this week in our readings, we, we read some of Isaiah's message. He's the, he's the prominent prophet now in this week's readings. Isaiah actually was based in Judah, but this is, you know, he was writing this stuff around this time of Israel's fall. And so I think it's fair to say that his warnings were for, for both groups of people. He was warning them about getting back in line with, with God. And he had a message of hope for everyone, Israel, Judah, everyone since. In fact, there's a message of hope that Isaiah writes about for us today. And I want to just push into that a little bit. You know, there's, there's moments in world history when it can seem like evil has won. You know, I was thinking about, well, what's the closest one for us? There's really bad stuff going on at the moment, right? But probably the big one, if you go back just in our recent history, was the two world wars. Now, I was born in 1973. I can only imagine what it was like. You know, we've read the stories. We hear from um, the veterans what it, was, what it was like to be in these wars and we've seen movies and whatever. So we try, to, we try to picture it. It would probably seem, if I lived in the 1930s and 40s, it would probably seem like evil was marching through the world and winning. And you kind of wonder, where's the hope in this? It was kind of fleeting. And you wouldn't blame Christians at the time. You maybe thought, is this it, God? You know, is your return just around the corner? They would have probably thought that. It must feel like that. For Christians today, still, you know, if you're a Christian in, in North Korea or Eritrea or Pakistan or a country like that, it's really hard. You know, we, we sometimes say, gee, we're feeling like we're a bit persecuted, really. Think about living in those countries. You have to be really careful about who knows about your faith. There's jail, sometimes there's torture, sometimes there's death. People are dying for Christ every week around the world right now. If you're, if you're in China right now, you know, persecution kind of feels like it's coming more and more upon you. Open Doors has identified at least 50 countries where there's a lot of pressure and persecution that can come upon you just for, because you believe in Jesus and follow him. And so the message from Isaiah this week, it delivers a timeless message of hope for everyone. That's the point I'm trying to make. You may be an Israelite who has lost Everything, you know, your home and your family and your friends and your nation, but there's still hope, is the message of Isaiah. You could be in captivity, but there's still hope. You could be going, living in North Korea today, and there's still hope. And there's hope for us today as well. You know, maybe right now, maybe you're here today and, and you're thinking of a, or your home church or you know of a church that's a mess Perhaps you've been part of a church where there's moral failure, perhaps poor leadership or the idol of control and power that we mentioned last week is, is kind of how that church has started to operate. Perhaps there's division. Perhaps the church, like Israel, worshipped comfort and culture more than Jesus and his calling to obey. And, and whatever it is, however bad it is, there's still hope. You may be in a really dark place in your personal life right now. You know, maybe your work situation, you're in this toxic kind of environment. 
Maybe your kids are making choices that you're kind of worried about them. Maybe your marriage is on life support. Maybe you're in conflict with, with a friend or a family member. Maybe you have a difficult health diagnosis. You're financially going backwards. You know, is your business struggling? Is your mental health kind of uh, declining? Whatever it is, the message from the prophet Isaiah to you, as it was to a nation that had lost everything, is that with God, there's always incredible hope. Isaiah, like no other prophet, pointed to this future hope. There was going to be freedom from oppression. Those in exile would be brought back to Jerusalem. There was something more than just hope for Israel and, and, and Judah in, in exile. There was a, a prophecy of hope for all nations, for all people, both then and everyone forevermore. God, and here it is, God is going to send a Messiah. He would come to free humanity, both Jew and Gentile, from the real enemy of sin. The real enemy. Sorry, I said enemy of sin, didn't I? Enemy of people. The enemy is sin. Okay, is everyone still with me? That sin that had brought about Israel's destruction and that sin that had also brought about our own destruction, he would deliver us from that and return us to right relationship with our creator. It's called redemption. It was the ultimate message of hope for everyone, and it's still our message of hope today. Wherever you're at in life, there is hope because of redemption, because of a Messiah. God promised Abraham he would be the father of a nation that would bless all nations. Even though it seemed that vision was lost, even though Israel was divided, even though their nation was conquered, even though they lived in exile, even though you could no longer see the goodness of God through his people, at this time from Israel would still come the Messiah. God is always faithful, even when we aren't. Even though Israel had gone the wrong way, they were still going to be the, the nation that blessed all nations because from them would come the Messiah. Here we are, 700 years before Jesus came and Isaiah more than any other prophet, announces this hope. And he's saying there's a saviour coming, Israel. And he's saying to us today, there's a saviour here. Here's what he said. I'm just going to give you a little taste from Isaiah. Number one is this. He's prophesied that there is a Messiah coming. I've mentioned this one. So in chapter 40, it says, The voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Kind of reminds you of John the Baptist, right? It should. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The second thing he said was that there's going to be a virgin birth. So in Isaiah 7... Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The third one was this, that he would minister, the Messiah that is, in Galilee, Isaiah 9. In the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Remember, this is 700 years before. Number four, 
He would prophesy about uh, you know, who Jesus was, who the Messiah was, his deity and an eternal throne, Isaiah 9. And you're familiar with this. For, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom and establish, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. By the way, I've always liked the word zeal because they use it there to describe some, uh, an attribute of God. I actually think our zeal should be for the Lord. I love it. Number five is this. It's about the sufferings of the Messiah. In fact, if you look at Isaiah uh, chapter 53, the whole thing is about this. But here's a sample, starting at verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all... Like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the, the iniquity, the things we've done wrong, our sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet... Who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. You know, so much of what Isaiah just said about the suffering of Christ in, in chapter 53 of his book, it happened. You know, it was... He got it right. God got it right, of course. You know, he suffered. He was pierced. He was wounded. Even though he was oppressed, he remained silent. He died with sinners. He was put in a rich man's tomb, and he had done nothing to deserve it. All those things pointed to a Messiah and became reality. Number six from Isaiah about the Messiah. He would rule over both Jew and Gentile under a new covenant. So here's chapter 42. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Isaiah also prophesied about Jesus that the Messiah would be a righteous king. I'm not going to read them all today because I've done enough. He would be a righteous king, that he would be just and kind, that he would have a great influence, that uh, death would be destroyed, that God's people would receive a new name, that there would be a new heaven and a new earth. All of those things you'll find in the book of Isaiah. And all of those things came to pass. And, and last but not least, he's number seven, that there would be a hope for our redemption. Isaiah 44. Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you, you are my servant, Israel, I will not forget you. I have swept away all your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. 
sin swept away, redemption. Our hope is redemption through our Messiah. And we've talked our whole way through this series about this is God's redemption plan. It didn't feel like it because a whole nation got lost and sent off into captivity. Uh Uh-oh, it's not going right. Isaiah says the Messiah is coming. Redemption is coming. It's about a creator God who is working desperately to redeem a fallen world. He wants more than anything for us to choose him. Church, he, he is a God who is crazy about you. But he doesn't, want, he doesn't want to make you love him. He doesn't want you to love him out of force. He wants you to love him out of your own free will. He's actually seeking your love and affection. That's why we are here. That's why he created it. He, he actually wanted love relationships. And he does everything he can to make the way back to him. And the way back to him is his son, Jesus, who he sent to die and redeem you. God loves you so much, he'd rather die than not be in relationship with you. Think about that for a second. So today, the prophecies from 2,700 years ago still deliver hope to us in our times. So your hope is in a God who loves you. Your hope is complete and total forgiveness. Your hope is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. A relationship with God. Your hope is a new life transformed to be like that beautiful vision he has for us, to be like Jesus. Your hope is his plan for you. Your hope is freedom from the fear of death. Do you want to hear just a side story? Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night and you're kind of gasping for breath? And you're like, I can't breathe. And you think, am I going to die in this moment? Our hope is that we don't have to fear death. Your hope is freedom from the sin that binds you and controls you. If you've just got that, that part in you that you just can't seem to get a hold of, that you know is wrong and you can't get on top of it, there is hope for you. There is redemption for that. Your hope is the promise of eternity. Your hope is redemption. And all these things we talked about that you may be struggling with today can be redeemed. Because church... Redemption moves beyond hope. It's not just what's in our heart. It's actually real and it's powerful. It's not just about our soul made right with God. Redemption moves through all parts of our life. It aligns us with God and his plan for us. We listed all those things you might be struggling with. There's redemption for all those things. God is our Redeemer. So I put the offer out there today. Take a hold of that hope and step in to the redeemed life. I think that that's what God wants for some people here today. For those broken parts. Those parts that God's showing you even today as I speak to you. He is our Redeemer. 
He is our Redeemer. So we're going to pray. And I want to just spend a moment just with God. The thing about, the church, about church is um, we love to uh, worship and, and say hallelujahs. And there's just, you know, there's times when we need to also hear God's voice in silence. The team, you can come and just be quiet behind me <laughs> if you can. But we're just going to spend some time. Because maybe today you feel a little bit like the nation Israel. Everything's falling apart and maybe you even feel like you're in exile. Isaiah's pointing to hope. God's pointing to hope. Lord Jesus, we stop and we hear your words through your scripture today. The hope of the world is through, through your son. And he's here to redeem. And so God, we, we submit and surrender those parts of our life that aren't. And church, if you're not sure what parts they are, let's just take a moment to, to hear God's voice. So, Lord, we offer ourselves to you again this morning and consecrate our lives to you. God, those parts that, that need to be changed, we pray, would you redeem them? Bring them back to life. The life that you said was to the full. We thank you that you came. We've, we've already gathered around your table, Lord. We, we believe you've poured grace into us today. And, and Father, um, for your amazing grace that we live in each and every day, God, we are grateful. <laughs> we are grateful that you saved us. We are grateful that we are called children of God. We've already sung about this, that we have a place. You've made a place for us. pray, Father, that your gift of redemption can spread through our lives and our church and our families and this neighbourhood and this city and this country, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your amazing grace. Amen.